the Lord God speaks to us in his word this morning. 1 Timothy 2, page 1177. Page 1177 in your pew Bibles. 1 Timothy 2, we look at verses 1 through 7 this morning. But let's read the whole chapter. Here are instructions for public worship in the church of God. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, This is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire that then that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectful or respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Verses 1 through 7. Our text. If you keep your Bibles open there, congregation, we work our way through these verses this morning, and may God add his blessing. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, what I want to do with God's help is to look at this whole passage this week and then return to two verses next week as the focus the celebration of the Lord's Supper in verses 5 and 6. But it's important for us to remember the theme, the heading, the main subject of this passage. Something that I've not properly recognized, I believe, because of the issues that are found in it. But it's a call to prayer by the church pray for all people there are a lot of moving parts here a lot of beautiful doctrines like God's desire to see sinners saved the one way to be saved through the mediator and that he gave his life as a ransom so much beauty here so many moving parts but it all comes under Paul urging the church at Ephesus and the church around the world to pray, first of all. That's how it starts, verse one. 
First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And that's the thing we look at. The church is called, God our Savior calls his church to pray for all people. First we have the call to pray, then the reason to pray, and then the focus of our prayer. The call to pray, first of all then, I urge, I exhort, I entreat, I plead. That's what the word means. That prayers be made for all people. In a sense, chapter 2 is where Paul's main message to Timothy begins. Chapter 1 is Paul saying to Timothy, stay at Ephesus. Don't let the false teachers, don't let the false teachers get a spot there. Put them out. Then in chapter 2, he gets to the main issue at hand. And he says, so, okay, first of all, because Paul's main job there is the church is newly planted. Like Titus is called to do at Crete, put things in order there. Get it organized. And he starts with what to do in public gatherings and how to behave in public gatherings. That's chapter two. And then he moves to what the leadership should be, elders and deacons, chapter three, and so on. But first of all, then, pray. I don't appreciate this enough. And it convicts me that the church of Jesus Christ I myself included as part of that, do not give, have not given sufficient attention to this urgent call to pray. How important is prayer in our mission as a church? That's the challenge to me and to you. How important is prayer in our mission as a church to God our Savior, the great missionary? Does it have a central place? Notice how he piles up words in this urging. Four words for prayer. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. The first three words are basically synonyms. They all mean close to the same thing. And then thanksgiving is added. That's one of the themes of the Bible, right? Bring all your requests, all your worries even all your complaints to the Lord and do it with thanksgiving. Because God is always worthy of thanksgiving. He's always doing good things. Look for them and bless him, thank him. But he piles up these words for prayer to strengthen in us the urgency of this call to pray. Thirdly, notice how he urges prayer for all people. Some time ago, a respected Christian author wrote that nothing in the word of God commands us to pray for the lost. Wrote a whole book on that. The Bible does call us to pray for preachers to the lost, he said, but nothing in the word of God tells us to pray for the lost. How contrary to the Bible. Moses, David, Solomon, 
Paul prayed for the lost. Stephen. Romans 10. My heart's prayer and desire for the Jews, for the lost Jews, is that they may be saved. And Paul tells here explicitly that the church must pray for all people. People inside the church, people outside the church, the saved and the unsaved. And that's your first order of business to gather and pray for all people. Maybe you know their names, pray for them by name. Maybe you know them by their towns or cities. Maybe you know them by their people group or their country or by their religion. Well then, pray for the people of Strathroy and Watford. Pray for the people of Canada and North Korea. Pray for Muslims and Buddhists and atheists and all who do not know Jesus Christ. Pray for the church as well, locally and around the world. Pray for all people. Spurgeon writes, the soul winner must be fervent in prayer. You cannot bring souls to God if you do not go to God yourself. And then one more thing, Paul gets specific. He specifies one special group of people in need of prayer by the church. I urge you, that prayers be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. For kings. And all who are in high positions. Not just the guys that you, you wanted in power and who you like, That reminds us of Jeremiah's letter to the exiles. When they're sent off to Babylon. Pray for the peace of Babylon. For in their peace you will have peace. And when you have peace, you have more freedom to share the gospel. God doesn't want us to live a life of rioting and revolt. But... He wants his people to keep it quiet, to live orderly, dignified, and reverent lives. And let's pray for an environment that allows for that. Pray for all people. And don't forget the kings and all who are in high places. But more specifically, not just to pray that they'll rule well. And they'll be wise in helping create an orderly society but that they will be saved because that's where he goes in in verses three and four, that they'll be saved. John Calvin writes, all the magistrates who existed at that time when Paul's writing were sworn enemies of Christ. So the thought occurred to the church in Ephesus not to pray for those who were devoting all their power and wealth to destroy the church of Jesus. You can't pray for those guys. They're out of bounds in our prayer life. That thought might occur to you, says Paul. That's what Calvin's describing here. Don't let that thought run you. Pray for them. Pray that God may make bad people good. Governments play a very important role in the 
peace of the church and we should pray not only for them to be able to rule well and to respect the place of the church and society, but we must pray to God for their conversion to Christ and for their very salvation. Our prime minister has a never dying soul. I can so easily get lost in his politics, which I despise. A lot of his positions I cannot stomach. I can get lost in that and forget to love this man and to pray for his never dying soul. And not just his, but so many rulers have lost their way. And they deserve a place in public worship, in the prayer of God's people, private prayer. But the specific context here is public prayer. Of course, whatever we should pray for in public, we should pray for in private. Again, that's convicting to me as pastors. We're often busy trying to trim down our prayers so they're not too long. And in many places, the so-called long prayer has disappeared altogether. And there's very little prayer left in public worship at all. And almost gone is the prayer meeting. Church's prayer meetings through the week in specific ways to be able to remember these things. And one author writes, Paul would be shocked by this trend because he considered prayer of first importance in the public worship of God. But brothers and sisters, the God who rules the world wants his people to pray for the world, for the congregation, for our local communities, for our missionaries, for our country and government, for the nations of the world. And above all, for the billions of never-dying souls out there who do not know Jesus Christ in faith, who are not right with God, who are under his punishment. And like Jonah, we may be more comfortable with a narrow focus. Keep the Ninevites out of this. But like God, our focus has to be very wide. And that's really the reason, secondly, for this call to pray for all people. We have a very wide God in terms of his mercy and his desire for salvation. The reason to pray. Look at the next verse. This is good. And it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. The clear reason to pray for all people. It's good and pleasing to God and for the believer. That's always the strongest incentive to do anything at all. It pleases the Lord. This is the God who loved me so much. He sent his son to rescue me from judgment, from hell, from the devil's grip. And he brought me to himself, putting my sins on Jesus. I'm giving my whole life to please him. Does this please you, Lord? That's my incentive. This is good. And it's pleasing to God our Savior. God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's why it's pleasing to God our Savior because who he is. 
not just what he tells us to do, but it agrees with what's, what's in him. That's what it says, right? He desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Far more than we want to see people to say, be saved. He desires this. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, the Bible says. Now, we have to keep things clear. As Christians who believe the whole Bible, that doesn't mean God has planned to save each and every person. We know that's not true. In his infinite wisdom, he's chosen to let some go their own way and leave them in their sin and condemn them for it. That's his right. We praise him for it. But his command, his, his revealed will, is that all should repent and come to him. And that whoever comes to him, he will receive. For he is God our Savior. He is the Savior of all mankind. And he opens his arms to people of all kinds. To sinners of all kinds. Rich sinners. Poor sinners. Prime ministers and ordinary citizens, Google executives and assembly line workers, people with a criminal record and people without a criminal record, church people and non-church people, straight and gay, white and black, polite and rude, pure and pedophile. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are under his intense anger. And he calls all, all, No matter who you are, your background, your culture, your religion, your track record, to turn into him for forgiveness and for a new life. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We have a wide God, a broad God. And how does he save them? By bringing them to a knowledge of the truth, the Bible says. That is through the preaching of the message of Jesus Christ who's the way, the truth, and the life. The Jesus revealed in the truth of the Bible. And remember what that basic truth is, that knowledge of the truth. 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Says Paul, that's the gospel. That's the truth that saved me. I embraced him. And I was saved. This pleases God our Savior. God our Savior. Think of that name for him. We turned our back on God. We rejected him. We came under his curse. And he came after us in his love to save us from our sin and from the curse. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to put our sin on the curse on him. To give us a way of escape and bring us back to him, to salvation, to life with God, and a home with God, and blessing with God, and paradise with God forever. God our Savior. And so he appointed Verse 5, one mediator, that's one God, appointed one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. God our Savior. 
borrowed from Isaiah. Isaiah 45, there's no other God besides me, a righteous God and a savior. There's none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. One God, one savior for all people. Now, why that emphasis on the all here? Pray for all people, for God desires all people to be people to be saved and this one God saves through one mediator a man named Jesus who gave his life as a ransom for all well as we've been studying in the past couple of months there's a constant Jonah syndrome that threatens the church it was threatening the church of at Ephesus there was among the Jewish people, this idea that if you were a Gentile, you weren't worthy of God. You were too dirty. So you were sort of outside of the scope of salvation unless you first cleaned yourself up, became a Jew, and then God might accept you. They took the wide, the broad God, and they made him very narrow. It's just for Jews. And then you had these Gentile people with, who were dabbling in Gnosticism that God is really only for those elites who have reached enlightenment through a special hidden knowledge. And, and if you're not one of them in that club, then you can't be saved. And that's the constant temptation of the church to narrow God down to my club and the people I like. And to think some people are so evil they cannot be prayed for. Some cultures are so low, God doesn't want to save them. And then we elevate ourselves and we're so special that God loves us more than anybody else. And then our prayer lives can begin to reflect that narrowness when we ignore the world and just narrow in upon ourselves. Does our prayer life reflect what God our Savior desires? That's really the challenge here. Does my prayer life, does our prayer life as church reflect what God our Savior desires? Do we love the fact that our God is a universal God? That's the reason to pray. Well, that leads thirdly to the focus of our prayer for all people. The reason is who our God is. He desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. But how are they going to do that but come to the one mediator? For there's one God... And there's one meter between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. That needs to be the focus of our prayer, that all people come to one spot, Jesus. Narrow focus. Broad prayer. Narrow center. Again, we want to look at those aspects 
mediator, gave himself, ransom, the beauty of that. Next week, Lord willing, gave his life as a ransom. Think of that, a payment to free us from death. Jesus alone paid the price that sets you free from your sin. He ate up the cost of your sin. He made that his own. When we were under God's death sentence, he paid the debt we couldn't pay for the infinite penalty of our sin. He offered ransom to God for us with his own life. And that's where we need to pray that God will bring sinners to the mediator. And that as the church preaches the gospel at home and away from home, and Christ has preached that one mediator, that God will bless that preaching, those church planters, those laborers, and those mission workers to bring sinners, whatever their background, Whatever their record, whatever their baggage, to one place, Jesus Christ. So you see, on the one hand, Christianity is so wide and broadly inclusive, praying to a God who desires to save sinners of all kinds and degrees. And on the other hand, Christianity is so narrow and exclusive. All people are invited to come to one God because there's only one true God. All others are fakes. Who has opened up one channel to come to him. One mediator, Jesus Christ. Through his one sacrifice, ransom paid for us on the cross. All other pathways to the one true God are fake. They're dead ends. They can't get you there. They're lies. This is true. This is the way that he is appointed. All sinners from everywhere converging in one road, one mediator, because that's the place where God got rid of our sin on Jesus Christ. A mediator is one who stands between two parties that are at odds with each other. We have an offended holy God and offenders, us. We've all offended the Lord. And he lays a hand, this mediator, on both sides. God the Father sent him. He didn't do this on his own. The God the Father sent his son. And he takes our side in the problem, our sin and punishment, And he takes God's side, God's anger and wrath toward us. And he makes them his own to bring us together. And if you want to be right with God, turn in here to the mediator. Go there today. You can be sure that this ransom then is for you. He turns away no one who comes to him. In faith. Jesus is the one and only place that God has created to get rid of your sin and offensiveness to God and make you clean and holy and acceptable 
and open a door of salvation to you. So you become the friend of God, the child of God. Forever. So then that's the focus of our prayers and of our preaching, Paul adds, and for this testimony of a mediator named Jesus Christ who gave his life as a ransom for all. For this testimony, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth, verse 7. That's the focus of our prayers and preaching and of our praying for preachers. Paul so often says, pray for us, brothers, that the word of God may speed ahead. And that reminds us, really, of this main call again. The call to pray for all people. Because it pleases God to use the prayers of his people to build and preserve his church, to save the lost. Calvin says we testify to our desire for the salvation of the lost with our godly prayers. The worldwide advance and success of the gospel requires prayer. That's God's will. That's God's way. We impose, oppose the exclusivism who narrow God down just to your own club or kind. And we oppose the inclusivism of those who say Jesus is just one way to God. There are many roads to get to him. Some take the Buddhist road. Others take the Hindu road. Others take the pathway of meditation. Some follow Muhammad. But as long as you're sincere, all these roads lead to God. No. One place, one person who takes away your sins and brings you back to God. Jesus Christ has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And our prayers to God our Savior focus on his mediator. In closing, several years ago, Pastor Phil Riken at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia Convicted by this passage, began gathering with small prayer group on Fridays from noon till one, one hour every Friday. And every Friday they gathered and prayed for unsaved people by name, people from the neighborhood, people from all over, loved ones, friends. Several months later, their prayers began to be answered in a way they didn't at all expect Men, women, and children were coming to faith in Christ. Parents, siblings, children, international students, co-workers, Muslims, atheists, Jews. To this day, 10th Presbyterian continues to meet on Friday from 12 to 1. And they give thanks for reports of more and more people God is saving. What about us? Is prayer the first part of our mission as a church? 
Will we commit our family, friends, leaders, country, and world to God our Savior in prayer? First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high places, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, O oh God, that you are such a great God and wonderful Savior. Such a great Savior that you have appointed a way for us to come home to you through a mediator, Jesus Christ, who's paid for our sins with his precious blood by offering a ransom on our behalf. Thank you that it pleases you to use the prayers of your people to bring lost sinners from all over and all backgrounds to Jesus Christ that they might come home to God. Help us to trust you in this. Make us a praying people In Jesus' name we pray, amen.